Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. We're going to worship in a moment or two. Rob Pierce is going to bring us our reading and our hand to the worship group. Uh, just a short uh, reading, actually. It's from it's page 1094 in this Bible, uh, Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the flavor, sorry, the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we look at those verses that Rob read to us just a moment ago and uh, just spent a few minutes there. Uh, and then it's uh, time for another song, and then it's time... No, it's not. I made that up. It's time for coffee. Uh, and then it's time for some more singing. But it's good. Um, I have to say, um, I find it quite, um, quite emotional, actually, um, being here on, this morning. I did last week, um, and I'm, I know many of you did as well, because um, it, uh, it just feels good. It's good to be back. Good to be back with one people uh, and God's family. And I believe God wants to bless this church. I've been saying it for 13 years, and he's been doing it for 13 years. And, uh, and I think it's just evidenced in so many things that go on. We're not perfect, of course. And there are many things that if we could have a time machine, we'd do differently, I'm sure, personally and corporately. But I believe God has his hand on us. And I believe God wants us to really move forward together as his people and to bless us in the work that he's calling us to do as Christians in this town particularly. Um, but let's just pray as we look at God's word together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for worship. Thank you, Lord, for uh, unity, Lord. Thank you for your presence. And Lord, we do pray you would just call us by name. And Lord, I'm just struck by that phrase because, Lord, none of us are here uh, because any human being called us. Lord, we're here because you called us. You convicted us of our sin. Lord, you brought us into all truth. And you're the one who took us, Lord, to the cross. And Lord, at the cross, we gave our life to Jesus. He died in our place. And Lord, we went into the grave and then we were resurrected to everlasting life. Lord, we have everlasting life in us, Lord. We're not mortal in the traditional sense, Lord. These bodies will run out of steam, but Lord, we will go on forever and ever and ever. Lord, in perfect unity with you and each other. And we thank you for that. And may Lord, we see that this morning in our relationships with each other as we come around your word together now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're doing a series. Um, you're going to hear me say the phrase, we're doing a series at least seven more weeks, by the way, because we're doing a series for at least seven more weeks. And I like to keep repeating myself, just in case you're not sure what's happening. Uh, we're doing a series for the next uh, seven more weeks called Love Your Church. Um, not because we don't think anyone loves this church, but because as we've come out of COVID, we feel uh, just acknowledging that actually we're fractured, we're disjointed, we've been all over the place, we've been stuck in front of TVs for far too long. And that God is calling us to come back together as one people. And this book, um, which I had a picture of, there we are, well done, um, up there, um, is a, just eight responsibilities uh, that are really, really privileges for us as Christians. That if we do them with our whole heart, with joy, the joy of the Lord, not a sense of coercion or we better be nice to each other because we've gone on about it. But actually, if we genuinely give ourselves to this way of treating each other and treating new people and existing people and those that don't yet believe in Jesus, um, this church will be transformed and blessed, I believe. And I believe God will make us a, a fruitful people. 
So last week uh, was the introductory week. Uh, the sermon is going to come at the end of the Connect Group study. So some of what's said this, this, uh, this morning, uh, you'd have already thought about some of it in your Connect Group. So the sermon kind of tops off the week and sums it up. But today we're thinking about the word belonging and what it means to belong. This week you've already, as I said, watched the Connect Group video, in your, the video in your Connect Groups, I should say. Uh, some of us have watched it at least 17 times. Um, which is good, um, but I'm one of those people, when you see yourself on the TV, it really isn't good, and, um, and I wish the Lord had made me more attractive, but there we are. It's an ongoing prayer, <laughs> but it keeps me humble. Anyway, so Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Thank you for, not, for, for agreeing with that, by the way. <laughs> I know, thank you. Yeah, 13 years, not one person's ever said, no, you're really handsome, Gary, from the floor. <laughs> Never mind. Sorry? No, let's, let's gloss over that anyway. At home, I'm sure you're typing it somewhere. Anyway, what were we doing? Yes, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, which Rob read to us a moment or two ago. It really is an amazing part of the book of Acts. And it's the first sort of dynamic summary that you have of this early church. The church is just a few moments old, really minutes old it almost isn't. But it's just a very short time. And it's almost like a newborn baby, the church in Acts chapter 2. Um, and a newborn baby, when you, when you have a baby, and some of you have got them this morning with you, um, you know they kind of come into the world just without any airs and graces, without any traditions, without any sort of cynicism of the world. They just are straightforward. When they're hungry, they do let you know. When they're tired, they just go to sleep wherever they happen to be, even in their bowl of whatever they're eating. But there's an innocence to a newborn, isn't there? There's a straightforwardness to a newborn. And this church that we see in Acts chapter 2 is innocent in a sense that it's come together for the first time. It's straightforward in its desire to obey the things of God. It doesn't, the issues come later, but in Acts chapter 2, they're just together. They're together, they're filled with the Spirit, and it's just, this is how you behave as a Christian. You meet, you pray, you share, you eat, and then you go out and tell people about the Savior of the world. And isn't that true for all of us, that when you first became a Christian, those of you that are Christians this morning, wasn't it just straightforward? Someone said to you, accept Jesus as your Savior, repent of your sin, and return the other way and follow him as your King. And you said, oh man, I'll do that. He became a Christian, and then someone said to you, and do you know, as a Christian, you come to church every Sunday, and up you get, and you come to church every Sunday. You read the Bible every morning, and you pray. Okay, great. So you get into a Bible study habit, and you pray. What on earth goes wrong with that process? Why does that mess up with us so much? But a few years later, we lost that innocence and that straightforward, and we forget to read the Bible a few days in a row, and we, we schedule other things when we should be with God's people and then we make it all okay in the things we say, perhaps. But they just had this straightforward desire to live out the teachings of Jesus Christ. And the world was never the same uh, when they did that, when the church does that. But what a picture of church that we have in those verses Rob read to us. And so many people are taken by this summary of this early church. Words like devoted, words like everyone. There's no kind of individuals here. It's just one people together worshipping as one people. In my Bible, uh, this section is, is uh, titled, The Christian Community Shares a Life in Common. And how often do we share a life separate from each other? But God calls us to share a life in common. The goal of this teaching uh, really is to relearn what the first church did naturally as a matter of course. We need to relearn some of their ways and put them into practice. That's really what this course over the next seven weeks, seven more weeks to go, I've said it again, uh, is about. It's about relearning what the first church simply did naturally. 
So the first thing we will talk about is the characteristics. Last week we mentioned that the church, a church's role is to gather together. And then once we've gathered together, we then scatter. We scatter to work or to social things or to family or wherever we might be. We scatter out of this place, having gathered together to worship as one body, to be filled with the Spirit, to come around the Bible and to be one as God's people. Then scatter to take what we've learned and, and what's happened to us into a broken world. And we think of what happened in Budden's car park yesterday, and it's a graphic reminder that this world needs Christians who scatter with the truth. Not scatter to go and do their own thing, but scatter with the good news of Christ. Because you think of, if it is gang-related, you think if someone had got hold of those guys when they were 10 or 7 and told them about Jesus. I became a Christian at 11 years old. How different would life be? You don't know. You never know where you would have ended up without Christ. I can only imagine. I can only guess. But who knows what people we might have got into, got in with, what bad turns we might have gone, and who we might have ended up hurting or being hurt by. The church needs to be in the car park at Budgeons, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. In verse 42 of chapter 2, we've got these characteristics of the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Just simple, straightforward description. This is what they did day after day after day. They gathered around the teaching of the apostles. The apostles would have spoken the words of Jesus. Can you imagine what it would have been like in the first century to listen to eyewitness accounts? Them saying, I remember when Jesus took us here, when he said this. You should have seen the look on the Pharisees' faces when he said that. It would have been alive, wouldn't it? Somehow we make it kind of dry and dull for some odd reason. But he's the most incredible person who's ever lived. Can you imagine being in that first church and hearing it? This is what Jesus did now a few months ago. This is what we saw. We watched him on the cross and we heard the earthquake and things like that. We met him when he was resurrected. They would have um, shared the resurrection teachings in those 40 days. Imagine what it would have felt like to have that first century account. Oh, it's jealous. Well, the Bible says those that didn't see have got a greater faith. So we're more privileged than those early disciples. They gathered around this fellowship, this idea of community. They shared. They shared their material goods, we read in verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They were of one mind, but then we read, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number. They gathered around this gener- generous heart. We'll come to that in a moment. And the breaking of bread. No doubt that means communion, but that also would have meant, I believe, just dinner. But the nuclear family kind of turned up in the 50s somewhere, didn't it? And then we all have dinner separately. You, have, you eat in your house, I mean, you may meet socially at some point, but so much of the rest of the world it's just got an open door policy. Last Sunday was probably one of my favorite Sundays in the entire time we've been here. Not that the other ones were bad, but simply because it's been so long that we've been together. And just having some really well-cooked, awesome sourdough bagels seems to have gelled the church together in a way that nothing else ever could. I made them, by the way. But, but how lovely was it just to eat together? And it's so simple. It's so simple. And you all hung around for ages and it's brilliant. I loved it. Didn't want to go home. But that's what God calls us to be. That's what the early church did so well. 
And whilst we don't want to replicate the structure and organization of the first century, many people waste so much time trying to capture the organization of the first century church. It was in the Middle East in the first century. We're in the 21st century in Europe. So we're quite different. But what we should do is relearn and capture the characteristics that made that such a dynamic group of believers in Jesus Christ. I want to look at just two of those characteristics uh, just for a few moments before we grab a coffee and come back and then put it into practice and share with each other. The first is the idea of sharing. I read verse 44 to 45 again. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they... Oh, no, I said that, sorry. But they're in the temporal courts. Every day, every day they practice generosity. This sharing dynamic amongst this early church is simply amazing to behold. And it's a huge challenge to wealthy Western European Christians, I think, particularly. Some people have said that this, um, this sort of sharing and this generosity is almost like a, an early form, a simplistic form of communism. Um, but I don't think that's true. Because I think, although you might have elements perhaps of some philosophies can be found everywhere if you look hard enough, but the giving here isn't coerced. It's not forced. They own property and that's okay. But it's what they do with the profits that defines their spirit. But they're not um, forced to give it away, not forced to sell things. But it comes from somewhere deeper. Their sense of worship and love characterize that generosity, that giving sacrificially so that no one in their church family, a Christian family, goes without is a spiritual response. They have an abundance of stuff. And these early Christians understood that that stuff, that was a blessing from God and that their challenge was to look at their brothers and sisters who had less and say, out of my abundance of God's blessing, I'm going to make sure you have as much as I do. The first century giving and sharing is worshipful, spiritual, and deeply commendable. Let me read a quote by Tim Keller. Um, if you've never heard of Tim Keller, he's brilliant. He's really good. Um, and this is a quote about pagan society, so not sort of necessarily Jerusalem in the first century. But this is what he said of the first church. The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically everybody their body. And then the Christian turned up or came along and gave practically nobody their body. And they gave practically everybody their money. Wow. It's a quote and a half, isn't it? That's brilliant. What might that mean for us in affluent Western Europe? Do we share for those in our church family who have nothing? who for them every day is a daily financial struggle and a material one? Do we provide for each other out of our abundance? If God has abundantly blessed you, what does this characteristic of the early church mean for you and for me? You cannot be coerced, and you shouldn't be coerced. Some churches have done that and made a terrible uh, spectacle of themselves, and that's why we don't go on about money in this church. But giving should be something that comes out of gratitude and worship of God. But maybe that's a part to pray for you and for me. I long to have a church here where no one is poor, where no one struggles, where all of us are generous and everybody has enough. But it's such a hard place to get to. But you can't force it. It has to be natural as a spiritual response. 
Second characteristic is uh, signs and wonders. Verse 43 and 47, we read this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The praising God and enjoying, this is verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All of this stuff's going on, all of these characteristics are happening amongst this dynamic group of people, and the favor of God was upon them. God blessed their coming together, blessed their community. The people around them saw they were different and liked them, loved them, was fond of them. There was a favor that rested from those who didn't know Jesus, and a blessing from the King of Kings, who knew them, every single one of them by name. He blessed them as they obeyed, as they worshipped as one, and he added to their number. I so often look at our own church, and when new people join, I think, well, Lord, where did they come from? Good thing you didn't go get them. They, you, you brought them in. And I praise the Lord every single time that happens. God adds to our number sometimes, and we should thank him for it, because I believe it's a sign of his blessing. But God, they're more than just an organized group. God actually dynamically blessed them as they worshipped. How about this quote I read this week? The characteristic of true revival is desire to spend much time in worship. Characteristic of true revival is desire to spend much time in worship. And I believe, oh, it's not controversial, but you may think it is. I believe that's singing, actually. I believe there's all sorts of things worship can be, of course, giving and sharing. But I believe that's a big part of that is worship with our voices. I remember when I was at Bible college, there was one guy who was very, very conservative. And he said we had to lead the service in the chapel one Sunday, Thursday, whatever it was. I don't know, it could be Tuesday. It's irrelevant. Anyway, moving on. Anyway, and he said, why don't we have a service with no singing whatsoever? It's a very sort of conservative way of, um, for some. And uh, sort of an ultra-conservative approach. And I said, why don't we have a service with just singing? And I was shot down. But why wouldn't you want to worship God loudly with your voices? This is our DNA. That's what we'll be doing in heaven forever and ever and ever. Amen. Lots of repetition, by the way. But we're to be a people that desire to worship together as often as we possibly can. And so, as a community, we need to be one that shares together. Not just our time, or our energy, or our prayers, but our stuff as well. A community that fellowships with each other, spends quality time with each other. Not just for half an hour on a Sunday morning, but longer than that. With open doors, so anyone can walk in and have dinner with us. That we love all of us together. A church that prays together. Still, when we meet for prayer, only a handful from our church come. We need to pray together as God's people as well. And this is the reason why verse 47 again says that God's added, God added to their number. The blessing of God comes when we get it right and we worship him in all the right ways. Psalm 133, I'll end with. Uh, the psalmist writes this, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. In non-poetic words, when we come together, God likes it, and God blesses it, and it's as simple as that. Let me pray just for a second or two, and then we're going to break for a coffee, but let's just spend a moment or two in prayer. Just think of all that we've heard, and what it might mean for you and for me. Just think for a second. 
Maybe just say, Lord, what does this morning's uh, passage mean for me in my life? Show me what you want me to do differently or better or start. Father God, just as we end our first half, Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege of worship, the privilege of being your people. And Lord, I just ask that you challenge us for these verses this morning. Father, we've got one shot at this, one life, one chance to get it right, Father God. And I believe you call us for scary, brave things. It's called obedience to the King of Kings. And Lord, it's dangerous and it's ridiculous to the world that doesn't believe in you. But Lord, our world needs a dynamic church community that looks and feels different to every other version of community out there. And there are lots. We pray Lord, that we will be men and women and children and young people, Lord, who take you at your word, who have a desire to worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth as long as we possibly can. Lord, we should want to sing your name as long as there is breath in our lungs until our dying day. Lord, make us the people you want us to be. Lord, as we grab a coffee now and, and chat, Lord, briefly, and we come back and then think about all that has just been heard, Lord, I pray that you will be with us now as we continue to worship you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.